Welcome to the Deep Bible Studies Podcast, where we discover, explore, examine, and practice the Word of God. I'm your host, Claudia Rivera Guevara, and today we will be going through John 3, 1 through 21. This is a long one and very profound one today, so let's get started. So in the section, You Must Be Born Again, we are starting right off with the quote from John MacArthur regarding the passage that we will be studying today. He says, The story of Nicodemus reinforces John's theme that Jesus is the Messiah and Son of God and that he came to offer salvation to men. Further, he says, Jesus also presented God's plan of salvation to Nicodemus, showing that he was the messenger whose redemptive work brings about the promise of salvation to his people. So the first verse says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus was an influential and educated man in the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was kind of a parliament whose task was the elaboration and approval of laws, as well as carrying out trials for crimes committed. This institution was under the control of the Roman governors. Uh, Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin and was a well-trained man in Jewish legislation and theology, which is why Jesus called him a teacher of Israel as we will see later. And more information regarding the word Pharisee in our study of John 1, 15-28. So moving on to verse 2, it says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. So possibly Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he was an important religious leader, and he was afraid of losing his reputation and position. Jesus was very unpopular among the Pharisees and Nicodemus being one of them would have been in disapproval. It is probable that Nicodemus was one of those mentioned in John 2 23 that says those who believed in the name of Jesus seeing that the signs he did. If so, his nightly visit could indicate that he still wanted to confirm his belief, but there was still mistrust that Jesus was the Messiah. So verse 3 says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why would Jesus say this? I mean, Nicodemus didn't really ask anything. Yet, Jesus came to the very core of his being, knowing fully that Nicodemus was longing for regeneration from God himself. Born again means born from above. Jesus himself explained this, but this being born again is a gift from God, where the believer is graciously gifted with eternal life. And here I wanted to make a parenthesis to explain what grace is because it is a word that we will talk about constantly. The word translated as grace in the New Testament comes from the Greek word charis, which is actually pronounced hairy, which means favor or blessing or goodness. So grace means that God chooses us and blesses us instead of cursing us, even though we deserve nothing good from him. So by grace, we were adopted into the Father's family as children of God through having faith in the living word, Christ himself. So let's spend some time looking at Mark 8, 34 through 38. It says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation 
generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father. To the disciples, the picture of the cross is one of a brutal, violent, humiliating, and degrading death. This reveals that conviction is side by side with surrender. Those who come to Jesus with a self-rejecting faith, there is true everlasting life. But God alone provokes this faith. That does not pursue a life full of ease, acceptance, glory, and comfort and safety in this world. Those who seek these things will lose their lives forever and be confronted with the judgment. Because this is not our eternity. You cannot save yourself. John 12, 25 says, Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Yet the one who gives up their lives for the sake of Christ and the gospel will find it. But how do we lose our lives? Well, John Piper puts it this way, Surely this losing is this self-denial and this cross. To lose one's life means acceptance of opposition, acceptance of shame, acceptance of suffering, acceptance of death. Self-denial plays when our old selves don't want to suffer and want to run towards comfort, and yet our renewed selves reject that because Jesus, our salvation, and because of the very gospel that has saved us. We don't suffer for nothing. It's for Christ's sake and the gospel's sake. To enter the kingdom of God, we must be born again from above a new spiritual birth. Verse 4 then says, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So in the Old Testament, water was always a symbol of spiritual cleansing. So the connection here is that being born again is, as John MacArthur says, purification of the soul, accomplished by the Holy Spirit through the word of God at the moment of salvation. So the next question we could be asking ourselves could maybe be, how does the Holy Spirit do this? And as I've said before, scripture is so sufficient and interprets itself. And this is what Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel when I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. We as human beings cannot fully comprehend the wind, nor control it. That is the same and even more with the Spirit. It is not easy to understand spiritual births. We don't need to fully understand. This illustrates how one is born again of the Spirit, nor can we exactly say how the Spirit of God works. But we can know when it is working in the lives and hearts of his people. That is exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ is saying here. John MacArthur explains it that the Spirit, quote, cannot be controlled or understood, but the proof of his work is apparent. Where the Spirit works, there is undeniable and unmistakable evidence, unquote. So then verse 9 says, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things happen? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Well, we can see here that Nicodemus was confused. He was so established in his thinking that new birth had already happened to him and to all faithful people of Israel. That is very difficult to think differently, and Jesus had to keep explaining. 
I mean, Nicodemus was a prestigious and authoritative teacher in Israel, yet he did not recognize the teachings of spiritual transformation from the Old Testament. This goes to expose how religious externals and methods for earned salvation are condemning and deadening to spiritual perception. God, in the whole entire Bible, is not worried about certain methods or practices instead of the hearts of mankind and their conditions. An example could be in many of David's Psalms. He is so incredibly explicit in saying how God does not care for vain sacrifices or for mere practices. Instead, it is the heart posture of the sacrifices being given that the Lord delights in. That is why being born again can only be done by the Spirit. Then Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony. So from verses 11 to 21, the word believe is gonna be said seven different times. This being born again is so much more deeper than the mere methods or spells or manifestations. You see, this is about faith. Further down, we will explain what faith and belief is. Verse 12 then says, If I have told you the earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you the heavenly things? When Jesus speaks of heavenly matters, he makes it very clear that he is the only one who can speak with authority and full knowledge about the things of heaven. To know perfectly the issue of a place is necessary that the person belongs there. The next verse says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So we talked about this reference the son of man um, what that means in the episode john 1 29-51 what jesus is emphasizing in his statement is that the religious teacher would teach at the time that you would have some special revelation from god to be of god but only the son of god has been truly with the father prior to his incarnation so only he has true knowledge of heavenly wisdom we see this in first corinthians 1 18-24 that says for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believed. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the very power of God and the wisdom of God. The next verse says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John MacArthur described that this veiled, or concealed, the prediction of Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus referred to the story of Numbers 21, 5 through 9, which the passage will be linked in the description, where the Israelite people who looked at the serpent lifted up by Moses were healed. You see the symbolism and how all of the word of God is about Jesus? The point of the illustration or analogy is in the lifted up. Just as Moses lifted up the snake on the pole so that all who looked upon it might be physically healed and might live physically, those who look to Christ, who was lifted up on the cross, will live spiritually and eternally. So in chapter 21, 4 through 9, the people were saved not by doing anything, but by simply looking at the bronze serpent. They had to trust that something as seemingly foolish as looking at this thing would be enough to save them. 
and surely some died because they deemed it too foolish to do such a thing. And as it says in Isaiah 45, 22, Look at me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no more. We may be willing to do hundreds of things to earn our salvation, but God commands us to trust only him. Look only at him. The next verses say that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is now the third time that we're seeing the word believe. So let's go deeper into the meaning of this. Um, and if you guys want more on the word belief, we will have response to the gospel episode linked below. So Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. And then Hebrews 11, 1 through 3 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old receive their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are invisible. Notice that next to the word believe is the little preposition in. It means believing in Christ, that is. We trust in him as the one who bore the penalty for our sins. That is a personal matter. Each of us individually need to believe that he died in our place because this brings upon reconciliation and eternity with God himself. The true believer's faith is not blind faith. We are not called to believe in silly things. Furthermore, Dr. Stephen Lawson said in his study of the nature of saving faith that a lot of people think that they have faith when the reality, they don't have faith. Faith is more than just an intellectual body of knowledge that you have. It is more than something you feel deeply about. True saving faith goes all the way to the will. True saving faith makes the decisive choice to commit one's life to Jesus Christ. So now we're in the part of for God so loved the world. This is a very famous verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The Jews at the time rarely thought that God loved the world. Many of them thought that God only loved Israel. The universal offer of salvation and life in Jesus was revolutionary. The Son of God's mission is stated right here. It is in complete connection to the ultimate love of the Almighty for evil, wicked, sinful people who by nature are against him. There is such an intensity and greatness in his love. I mean, the Father sent and gave his only begotten Son to die on behalf of sinful people so that they might not be condemned under the just wrath of God. That's incredible. Now, let's clarify God's love for the world here. The world does not receive or benefit from that love until it believes in Christ, the gift that the Father gave. Believe in Him means much more than an intellectual awareness or agreement. It means trusting Him, depending on Him, and beholding onto Him, gripping the gospel, and holding onto Him, not letting Him go. The expression, don't perish, describes the intention of God's love. God's love actually saves manhood from eternal destruction. God sees fallen humanity. He does not want it to perish. So in his love, he extends a gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. If there is one sentence that summarizes the message of the Gospel of John is this, God's love is unlimited. It encompasses all humanity. No sacrifice was too great to bring its immeasurable intensity to man and woman. The best that God had to give, he gave his only son, his beloved. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We see here the connection between belief, non-belief, condemnation, salvation, and eternal life. Belief in Christ's name is not just knowing that he is real. You see, even Satan and the demons know that Jesus is real and they tremble at that. This is trust. This is commitment to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. This leads to being born again and leads to a new heart, new nature, and a new desire to obey. The gospel produces a response to those called by God of confession. We see this in Romans 10, 9 that says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It also creates repentance 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief only produces death. And belief is also what it produces. In Ephesians 3.16-17, it says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Salvation is such a gift from God. Jesus did not come as a judge the first time he came to the earth. He came as the sacrifice. But the second time that he comes, then he will come as a judge. Now Jesus said that God did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but so the world might be saved through him. And whoever does not believe in him is already condemned. Anyone who believes in the name is no longer under condemnation, but has eternal life. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. On the day Christ was crucified, this was a huge decision. Now, it must be judged by God, and that is what is being talked about here. Let's remember that Jesus was talking to Nicodemus here, and that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The Pharisees believed that when the Messiah came, he would come as the judge. The Old Testament presented two aspects of the coming Messiah. One was his coming as a savior, coming to die to pay the penalty of death, and we could see this in Isaiah 53. The other aspect was his coming as the judge. The Pharisees then believed that the Messiah would be a judge when he came because the Old Testament presented that aspect. In Psalm 2:9, it says, you will break them with your rod of iron. In Daniel 7:13 and 14, the prophet Daniel spoke of Jesus as the judge of the world, the son of man. Jesus was telling Nicodemus very clearly that on this occasion, God had not sent his son to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So the word that is translated here from Greek for world is cosmos. And this means that God's redemptive purpose encompasses the entire world. He did not come to condemn or judge the world, but to save it. In Christ, there is no condemnation, but to those who do not believe in Christ are already condemned. There are those who think that today the world is being judged. It's not like that. The world is lost. You and I live in a lost world, in a sinful, broken world. That does not need to wait for the final judgment to prove that is our loss. 
Our situation is similar to a person who is in prison and is asked whether or not he or she will accept the forgiveness, the freedom. And that forgiveness is the gospel. It is not just consisting of telling a person he or she is going to trial because he or she is already condemned. They're already in the prison cell waiting for the moment of execution. But the gospel tells the prisoner that someone took their punishment already and that they are free. Will you repent and believe the forgiveness of the one who was meant to condemn condemn you? Decide today to believe in the Son of God and persevere, grip the Lord Jesus Christ so that he may be your personal savior. God is calling you. Just please think about this and do it right now for the Lord will save his own for eternity. You can find more information on our website www.deepbiblestudies.com where you will also find the calendar to go along with the book that we will be studying. You can also find us on Instagram at Deep Bible Studies and Facebook, where you can know every single time we post a new podcast. Also, we have an email, contact at deepbiblestudies.com, where you can ask us any questions and we will be sure to get back to you. I hope you have a wonderful day and see you next time.